Okay, I recently had an opportunity to meet with Maria Vokic, who is a CEO of her own recruitment company called Plug and Play Talent. She held a number of executive roles in talent management and started her career in accounting. Very un untypical path. We are talking about hiring company culture and what was it like to start her own company. And of course, Maria's favorite books. We love talking about books on this show. If you guys like this episode, be sure to leave review a review on iTunes and leave a comment on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Okay, here's Maria. Okay, so I'm here with Maria Bokic. Super excited. Excellent. I'm super excited to be here. Glad to hear about how you, Maria. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit just even before we jump into the actual questions. So you're from Croatia. I am. How was it like to come from Croatia to Toronto? I think you mentioned just before we started, you you came on came in five years ago. I did, but it was a, it was a weird transition because I went to school here and then I went back home um, and I came back and it was, I think, the typical immigrant story where people like, well, your experience is not Canadian. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. And I essentially worked for a bunch of Fortune 500 companies over in Croatia. So that was um, interesting, but every ecosystem has its differences, but you know, I came and I've, I've conquered. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's key, right? Yeah, that's key. So, so you created a pitch project, which I, I thought was super cool and to fix recruiting back in the day when you were, uh, doing like accountant, when you were working at accountant firm Crow, um, and how did you come up with that? It was, it sounded to me like more of like a pre-interview project that where you skip the whole, uh, interview and traditional life. And that's exactly what it was. And so at that time I actually started my career as an accountant. So I was an accountant at KPMG Okay. and, uh, <laughs> so then I decided, okay, I don't want to do this for the rest yeah. of my career. I want to go into HR. And so that was a barrier where I felt like, you know, I kept telling people the story, but nobody was really kind of hearing me. So I said, okay, look, I need to find a problem somewhere that I can fix. And so this was a company that was uh, uh, in the same line of business, right? right? They were right. a financial services company and I'd yeah. worked at such. And so I felt like, okay, that wouldn't be a jump for them to think hmm. I can recruit for people exactly like myself, right? And so I created my pitch deck, went straight to the partners and said, look, I can do this for you. And this is the ROI you can get. What do you think? And that was sort of my first break. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Was it like, why did you go with a traditional route? I was just curious, like where this, where this approach came from? Uh, you mean like in, in contacting them? Yeah. Well, just because uh, like if you don't have an extraordinary experience or you're a dead match to the posting, you need to do something different to stand out. Um, so and true. so I thought, okay, like I need to, how do I sort of make sure that there's ROI for them that I can prove that immediately rather than trying to do the traditional route where, you know, I'm an accountant and they're looking for something completely different. Absolutely. No, it's so, so good. And I love it. And I think those are so effective, those approaches. And I know you've done the same. <laughs> I did the same. That's probably why I could relate to that. I'm like, it's so good. And it works, right? It works every time. And even if you're not a right fit, even if they don't have a role, they will tell you, look, we will consider you. We will, maybe we'll build a role. For sure, because I think at that point you've proven that yeah. you've thought about the problem, that there's a solution, and ultimately that's what everybody's hiring for. It just takes so much time to, to develop a pitch like that, and then you could still strike out rather than just putting an application somewhere. So I think people do tend to take sort of the lower, mm. the path of lower resistance in 100%. a lot of cases, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's so true. So you spend a lot of time at Deeply. You started with like in a in a and then uh, I think as an HR manager, and yes. then you went to senior manager, and then you were like a yes. VP of. Uh, That's right. And how was it like? 
so basically, Diply uh, was a wonderful company. We scaled really quickly. We grew um, our revenue and mm-hmm. our employees really quickly. So like to the point where, you know, we were a small London-based startup to now, you know, in two years flat becoming the number one um, on, on the Deloitte Fast 50 list, like the number one in growth and the number one in <laughs> And so uh, obviously the hiring to sort of scale that. Yeah. And, and, and so I think in those kind of environments, your title matters less. It actually matters what you can do and then you get rewarded subsequently as Absolutely. I did with the titles, right? But yeah. it's those kind of environments that let you prove what you can do. No, 100%. You, so I wanted to ask you this. So when you need to hire a lot of people and obviously deeply you were a hyper growth company yep. uh, trying to grow and, and, and get a lot of hires, why is it so hard to outsource hiring to people who would understand, who don't really understand or have to understand the culture and the context? Well, because I think always best recruiting teams are internal recruiting teams. And I, I mean, I'm saying that now and I'm an external consultant, so you should take it. But honestly, I think that you have to have internally the capacity to sort of, because you are the one that intimately knows your company, right. uh, intimately knows what stage of growth mm-hmm. you're at, mm-hmm. what the skills and the, the, the capacities that you need are. And I think a lot of teams internally don't take the time to sort of develop that. And and because let's say a project manager at right. one company at one stage of growth, at let's say pre-series A startup, mm-hmm. is a very different role than at maybe post-series B or pre-IPO or post-IPO 100%. project manager, right? And so you have to know sort of those distinctions are very important. And and externals often are, are not in it for the same reasons you are. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where I found, that's why it's very hard to plug people in because they a lot of the agencies are there because they need to make their own revenue. So and true. Those goals might not be your exact goals unless you can find the right partner. Right. Are there any other options that you can do to high, still rely on an internal team but you know, not to outsource it? Absolutely. I think like, you know what, there's always room for a blended model. I don't, I'm not saying you should never use agencies. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying um, for a lot of startups that ends up being the default and Mm -hmm. they let go of the Mm -hmm. hiring completely Mm -hmm. out of their control and it all becomes agency, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or or a large majority of it. And then when you do that, you're not, you can't, you can't really claim you're building a culture because you're, someone else is building it for you, right? And so I think, you have to have sort of the reins, whether you outsource things that are difficult, take more time, there's mm-hmm. an ROI, there's always good scenarios, but I think that has to be a strategy and not something you do because you can't find people yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just too real. <laughs> love it, love it. This is so good. <laughs> so before we jump into talking about your own company, which I'm pretty excited about, uh, what what kind of personality tasks did you develop when you joined Deeply? Because I think you mentioned that on your LinkedIn. Why was it important? Like, I'm a big fan of Myers-Briggs. So, yes. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness. No so, problem. Uh, I, um, uh, what's it called? I actually did personality testing at almost every single company in some form. Um, and we've done... Myers-Briggs, by the way, is not... <laughs> Uh, a psychologically reliable test based oh, on research. It? No, it isn't. It's like, and, and so I think there's a lot of those tests that the only test that's really been scientifically validated is something called the Big Five test, which okay. tests, and, and there's two attributes on that test, agreeableness and conscientiousness that have been actually research-based kind of proven to, mm-hmm. to increase mm-hmm. job performance. And so I think with personality tests, they're valuable and you should have them in your process, but it should only be whether it's a DISC or Myers-Briggs right. or you know, whatever you want. There's lots of tools actually now in our market. We have Plum, we have Forte um, that, that are great. And it's, 
you, you can use these, but they're just one data point. Mm-hmm. So you're using them in combination with a structured interview, with your sort of cultural fit interview, with maybe a case study or workability test, which I highly recommend. And then the personality right. test is like the uh, one other data point. So that's how I think they should be used. Mm. What's your MBTI? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, it's, it's ENFP. Okay. It's the, the one who is, who is like a campaigner on six and personalities, <laughs> like somebody who's like happy and curious and all. There you go. And so, and, and those tests, I think, especially, it, I, I think once they're also like used to, to, to let's say in a, in a young workforce to raise awareness of, mm. you know, and, and career coaching, they're very right. valuable. You right. just have to use them in the right way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, totally. So, what was it like to jump out of the plane and start your own company, plug and play? <laughs> so I don't know. Which, jumping out of the plane was horrible. <laughs> so uh, it, it was, I, I uh, as I wrote in one of my yes. articles, I uh, I actually jumped out of a plane um, by myself with very little training and the chute didn't open and I had yes. to deploy my reserve chute and it was, <laughs> let's just say I never jumped since. <laughs> but it, was a, it, was, um, it was a unique experience. But honestly, this... Starting your own company often, I think, feels like that. I mean, you should, yes. you know, as yeah, well. Um, there's lots of trial and error. There's lots of false starts. There's also, I've had unbelievable luck that I've been very busy and, and, and uh, you know, I don't know, yeah. very fortunate uh, to, to kind of get the clients that I have. But, you know, in a lot of it, it's been, it's like a whole new learning curve, even mm-hmm. though I've done mm-hmm. this job for, I feel like too many years now, but, but it's now different because I, it's, it's just me out there. Right. Um, so yeah, it's so been, true. it's been fun. Yeah, no, it's so, so hard. And especially just, just knowing what to do, how to, like, I had to do a lot of business development, which I mean, it's, I almost felt like, oh, I'm kind of more in sales than marketing. And, and your MBTI would say that you do not like doing that. It's so true. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. No, no, I don't. So how has it been? Maybe I can, I can, I can ask you. Of course. It's been, it's been tough, but I, I just kind of considered it as a, as an essential part of like, I had to do it because otherwise I'm not going to get to the fun part, which is actually doing marketing. Absolutely. And until I'm one person person and then uh, I was thinking okay great I'm going to partner with somebody and then I'm going to potentially hire somebody and then see how that goes but I just decided look if I don't do the, the first step then which is business development then nothing else can happen well I also think if you outsource that too quickly you lose sight of what your clients are hiring right. you for and what the real needs are so I always think like whether you're a founder of any company you should be on your first I don't know I don't know what the number is but like a hundred calls with your customers at first, like you have to take that route. And I don't care right. if you're a technical founder. Yeah. And because I think it's also those calls where when you're talking to customers, there's a lot of feedback on like, look, your baby's ugly. Yes. <laughs> so true. You know what I mean? Yes. And like, I actually, when I developed my offering, just ballpark, I kind of went out to the market to, to different professionals and kind of said like, look, what do you think? And they were like, no, that's not at all what I would hire you for. And then I tweaked stuff yes. and then I, yes. you know, retweaked and then I got um, some feedback from the market. What, let's say I never considered putting like interview training and, 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 and yeah. some of this like recruiter training wasn't really my first thought. And yet those were some of the jobs that I ended up landing. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I was just saying it's like getting all of that feedback loop and uh, like it almost always is not what, what I expect or somebody else expects and just understand like just finding that what's the, what's the problem, what would be this, the industry for me, like for you it's probably more straightforward. Uh, for me for it's sure. like what, what is the right industry and then what is the right type of service that that I could offer because marketing is pretty broad. Those are something that I'm spending right, right now my time and I'm, I'm pretty still far of getting there but I have a lot more clarity now. Yeah, 
and, and and what's your speed spot? How do you scale your product offering, right? Like how, what is what is sort of like the, like yeah, this is what the market wants, but what can you offer right. to kind of satisfy that need? Because I've kind of you know, and mine is pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but but for sure, it hasn't been as straightforward as I thought. It, yeah, it's it's also always like you know, kind of going you know, in in weird weird directions. So plug and play talent. What does it? I've seen a diagram. Maybe you can. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about what it. you can't tell from the diagram. Oh my God, uh, we, we can, so we'll make it better. Plug and play is really um, so. When I was uh, in my role as a VP uh, at Diply uh, of Talent, I looked for some partner that I could kind of essentially plug into our internal team that could help us in a time of let's say big scaling mm-hmm. or with difficult roles or and 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 also somebody that wouldn't. Um, you know, that I wouldn't blow my entire budget on, right? And that would work with us as an internal partner, get to know the business, and we Mm. could sort of reuse and use as a sort of a partner, right? Right. Rather than, um, you know, an external agency that just comes and goes, right? And somebody that would work within our systems, fill our pipeline, Mm -hmm. so leave some value even beyond the people when, you know, when they're hired. And so then I couldn't really find anything like that on the market, Mm -hmm. And so I thought, look, if I need this, there's got to be other VPs of talent that need this kind of service. And so I decided that I would sort of be, become that yeah, partner. Yeah. And it, it, that's exactly how my business is working now. I'm working mm-hmm. with a bunch of um, some startups, some enterprise companies as sort of an extension of an internal team to hire for multiple roles. Yeah, it's very cool. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's, a, it's an interesting niche, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so this, is a, this is a question that I was curious. Hiring great people is really hard. Why is that? And what are some of the, you know, when, when in, if we're talking about, you know, CEOs of small businesses, maybe mid, mid-sized businesses, um, what do they need to do to find a great, great talent, like on a general level? And, and look, hiring is really hard um, because, first of all, like depending on, on, on where, and small to medium businesses, so let's say we're talking about these startups and scale-ups right. in yeah. the Toronto area, right? Um and now there's a supply and demand problem a little bit there. Like, and I think everybody likes to talk about the development sort of uh, area where, you know, sure, there's a huge shortage of developers, but there's also a huge shortage of great product people, of great mm. demand gen people, of right. great marketing, like, you know what I mean, of great yeah. salespeople for, for like tech, tech startups, let alone if you go into like SaaS and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so I think, first of all, you have to understand that there's a market where you have a supply and demand issue. There's not enough people to, so it's like, right. we're already in a, you're already in a com- very competitive situation. Mm-hmm. Then you got to understand if you're a smaller or medium start- startup, your pitch to these people, to, to your candidates has to be compelling. You have to know mm-hmm. what you can offer them. And I think this pitch, I've now seen sort of this development. It's, it's very, you can, I can't get Sergey to go and do demand gen marketing for me. Yeah. If I don't have some kind of a, conversation or like what does Sergey want is this the next mm-hmm. step in his so it's almost become a merger of this kind of uh, career coaching with the candidate is mm-hmm. that the next you know right. valid step for them and is my company you know and what do we offer yeah in that extent yeah. right and I think it doesn't doesn't hurt if you have machine learning and <laughs> some of those other sexy things that people are looking for right so true but I feel like there's an a person out there for everybody you just, there's no bad candidates. There's mm. just bad matches. Right. And I think people have to also be realistic about, because I've seen this a lot too. Like everyone wants that same type of like Google, Amazon type person. And you're like, are you Google? Are you Amazon? Yeah. Are you going to pay that much? No. So you have to also realize that like, 
you are also offering something to the market mm-hmm. and you know and so i feel like sometimes for those ceos um getting us like sort of a looking a bit beyond right. the keywords and the resume and looking for people that have solved interesting problems in line with the problems you have that's the real the magic and having a really good recruiter so true i think this is and that's kind of goes on to my next the next question because i think uh, i've heard somewhere on the podcast where uh somebody just mentioned that great people a, a lot of like 10 actors or 100 actors they all have or most of them have weird resumes there's something there's some gaps with with their resumes there's something wrong there's there's some things with them that are not quite right and they almost never match the the, the profile description Absolutely. So, so i was just curious to know from your perspective you had so many you talked to so many candidates and, and and to be honest this is my view i think job hopping is the new black like people if you especially if you're a startup uh, when you think about it do you want somebody that's been in some role for you know x amount of time or somebody that really is a change agent people that are sort of change agents so true yes they change they change different positions they don't stay they leave when the growth is gone so their resumes are bound to be a bit quote unquote, less attractive in a traditional sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's where a lot of these people get lost in translation, where people are not, the, the recruiters are not glossing over those resumes because, you know, they're overwhelmed and there's a bunch of other systemic, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, there's also a bit of an onus on the candidate to kind of prove that you can solve these problems. But to a certain extent, I do feel like I hear you there. A lot yeah, of people get right. rejected with these untraditional resumes that are actually great fits for startups, right? right. Um, because of some, I don't know, mainstream idea of what a perfect candidate looks like. So true. But also, like when when you hire uh, somebody who was experienced, that experience could be completely relevant now, uh, and or it could be a, a not not a fit. Totally. And it's so hard to convert if there's somebody who has multiple years of experience, they have a certain way of doing things and old habits die super hard and probably they won't. Absolutely. And not just that, but like when you think about it, it's like maybe you've been in a job for 10 years, but what did you do in those 10 years? Is it just you repeated the first year 10 times? Because that's not... <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> right? Because maybe you petered out with your strategic sort of progress within two years and then the next 80 years you've been doing the exact same thing. Do you want somebody like that or somebody that's changed three positions and had to adapt to, let's say, three di- wildly different environments? Who's more likely to yeah, solve your yeah. problem? Yeah, so it's, it's just a quick insight. Um, after going and doing marketing consulting, I think in the, th- the last three months, I probably learned more than in about like a year and a half, two years. Absolutely. In the company. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, because the learning curve is higher whenever you do try to actually solve a real world problem and somebody gives you the chance or you kind of... Oh, oh, you know, as you've gone yeah. out yeah. on your own and try to solve a bunch of little different companies and, and, and different problems for different clients, right? You just, your learning curve is much, much higher. But it's also, exactly. And it's just like, oh, like, like when you're in a company, the, the whole job is like, oh, I'm just going to send this email. I'm just going to do this research. And it's it's okay. Like it's, it's a smaller level problem. But when you are doing something like bigger on your own, it, it's a completely whole different set of things. Of and course. It changes perspective. And, and I think like there's also environments that are super challenging that can push you out of your comfort zone. Like Dipley was such an environment for me. Like we changed a lot. There was lots of change, lots of growth, mm-hmm. very dynamic industry circumstances, right? And so I think you have to look for patterns in candidates. Why do people cert- choose certain jobs? Why do they choose different environments? Is it a conscious choice? Are they the change agent looking for these opportunities? Or are they just letting, you know, there's like a career they're basically kind of letting the, the the river take them wherever, right? Mm. Like, 
and then decide which is the DNA you want. Yeah, this was, I was just also curious, like when you are interviewing a candidate, what would be the things you would be looking for on a general scale? And I've heard there's this two types of candidates, ones that are, who are more creative, who are not sure about where would they like to go in the future. Um, and there's a people who are more very, they, they are very driven. They have a specific goal and they're working towards that goal. Uh, so just curious, like from your perspective, how, how do you see, what do you like, what are some of the segments of people you see in terms of their motivation and, and what are you looking for when you're interviewing? Hmm. Ah, that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know that I would actually even divide it like that. I think mm. honestly, everyone's motivations are different. And I think that's what's so cool about this job, right? Cause like you could have a person that, now wants to focus more on their personal life and they want it, they'll be excellent in a certain job, but this is how much time they want to dedicate. You can have somebody who's completely hungry and looking mm -hmm. to do X things. And so I think you have to think about like your own role and mm -hmm. what you need the person to sort of achieve mm -hmm. in this and then kind of try to match that with the motivations of the person. And once you get that perfect match, that's when there's the magic, right? Mm -hmm. That's when Because I think skills are pretty easy to assess nowadays, yeah. right? Like I could ask you to run a campaign, give me some insight. I would probably know if, yeah. you know, if you can, you can actually do my job, Absolutely. right? But whether you're going to, you know, give that extra percent, I have to know what drives you to take this job, right? And I think that's the part that's harder to uncover mm. in, in these processes and why mistakes happen typically, right? Because right. mistakes typically happen because you don't have the motivational and the culture fit, not so much because you didn't assess the skills, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. That would be a rookie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want that. So I was also like, so when you're, for example, applying for a role that is more technical, that is really difficult to, for, for a human resources person to understand, and you have an experience that is not on, on the resume, maybe you have a side project or something, what is the right approach in that case? maybe when when an HR doesn't really can't assess it if it's on, on not on resume and it's more like a technical thing uh, is there like what give me an example yeah so like for example if you are if you're looking for a product manager job and okay. you don't have that experience but you did the side project that maybe not going to be that considered by human resources versus if you talk to somebody directly from product from that company where you're just assuming that the human resources person is bad and can't understand your pitch. But so I already disagree with that. But, but, uh, but let's say I do think that it's always from a candidate perspective, better to try and include both the HR and the product in your pitch. So right. if you can, um, I would make my initial approach, let's say with that kind of a, let's say that we take this scenario at yeah. face value, I would approach the hiring manager on LinkedIn. So like somebody from product in that, especially if it's a small startup, you can easily find them. Absolutely. Um, and, and kind of say like, look, this is the project I have. This is how I think it's relevant to what you're doing today and the problems you're solving. So it's like, you're already right. kind of making the connection for them. Right. And, and I would do the same with the HR person. And I kind of, I'd love to tell you a little bit more because I'm really interested and think, you know, I could take yeah. your company forward, yeah. but then provide some actual achievements and, 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 and ways you've actually done that. So it's like, if you've uh, been a catalyst right. to, to develop a new product for a new offering for a new company, right. if you've gotten, I don't know, the releases to go fast, like yeah. whatever yeah. it is, yeah. right? You, you have to kind of marry that and show the value instantly mm -hmm. to the person that's mm -hmm. interviewed. Because if it's not on your resume and if you don't have a perfect resume, yeah. like remember, you are always solving their problem. Right. Yeah, so essentially up to the candidate to explain it properly and uh, it's really not 
doesn't really that ma- matter whether you want to like talk to HR first. Because yeah, and then I feel like look, you're going to need HR on your side at some yeah. point. So yeah. I think sometimes it's a very bad move to alienate them and yeah. just go to the product manager. But I definitely don't think you should just do one. I think you should do both because sometimes a, 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 a switched on HR person can be your best friend in that scenario where they can, you know, be to the product guy. Look, I actually think this guy's really interesting. He's 100%. got, he, 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 you know, he actually explained this really well. Like yeah. you think you should take another look, right? So you, that can be somebody inside working for you if you've sort of made right. your lead approach, <laughs> you know, but gotcha. if you, a, a lot of people just do like to alienate talent uh, from the process and, that generally isn't the best idea. Right, right. Although I agree with you. There's a lot of them that are yeah. not switched on. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. So switching gears, what I know that you're listening to Reed Hoffman's Master of Scale podcast. Yeah, I love that podcast. Yeah. I, like, I like it too. Like I like how they, they edit it. <laughs> so what, do you have a favorite episode? I have lots of favorites, but, um, and I'm like, you know how they have those cool whiskey ads in the middle yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's your next step, man. That's how to monetize. Well, that, that exactly. That's what I'm working on. And so, um, basically, I love the one with talent. Uh, there's a there's a podcast. Um, I forget. It's kind of a unique formula to finding unique talent. I think that's what it's called. Um, and it, the, he had um, a bunch of different people. He had a CEO of Workday, and he had Ariana Huffington. Mm-hmm. And so it was super interesting because they were talking about this sort of cultural DNA and how it changes your startup. So it's like the first they feel between 25 and 100 people really defined what your company will be like as a culture. And so if you don't hire those 25 to to 100 Mm. people with some kind of a purpose or an aim, you get something that's neither here or there. But if you are very purposeful about sort of developing your values and what you're looking for at that stage, which a lot of founders aren't, because it's just, yes. they just don't know to do that, right? right. And, and it's funny because they talk about, let's say, Ariana uh, talks about the DNA that she looks for, which is completely different than, let's say, what the CEO of Workday talked about. Mm-hmm. He talked about their SaaS enterprise with sort of long-standing customer relationship. For, for them, they would discount people that have a lot of different moves on their resume. Right. They, that would actually be not a quality because loyalty is one of their founding values. That would be something they would actually not like in candidates. Mm-hmm lots of jobs right right whereas ariana said i need a change agent i actually look for people that have so it's like you could be they could be looking for the exact same role right but based on what who they're culturally kind of trying to hire these are completely different people Mm -hmm. no it's so good i mean i think i've heard it on another podcast and it was exactly that you have to have a foundation and find the right people and be super careful and take more time especially for those initial uh, 10, 20, 50 people. Yeah. And what I see actually is like, um, there's a market difference that I see there between, let's say people that are doing their first startup and CEOs that have maybe done it a four or five times. Hmm. Um, a lot of those CEOs that have done it four or five times are a lot more switched on and very early on know what their core values are, because I think they've experienced maybe some of those kind of culture problems in their earlier hmm. startups. And then by the time they get to like the third or fourth one, they're like, no, we need to know right off the bat what we're trying to do here and, and, and what. And I think also to mm. a certain extent, you can argue that values are different because the company goals and stages are different. So maybe if you have a company that's an enterprise company that grows linearly every year by 5 or 10%, they're in a stable industry, mm-hmm. the kind of people that are going to work there are going to be very different in their sort of DNA 
Totally, totally. Then people like maybe me and you that yeah. like to work at tech startups. It's so true. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, it's it's that, uh, and it also takes certain type of people who will survive, let's, let's exactly. say. Exactly. The hyper growth at Deeply, for example. Yeah, and they're not better or worse. No, they just, they're just... They're just different. Exactly. That's just those, those are the type of people. And it's the same where... You know, it's it's that growth. There's a company growth, and there's this a person growth. And if somebody like if a company overlaps the person, then it probably not the best fit. But no. it, there's some some people that are just not able to grow to scale to scale. Yeah, and and, and I think also like we have to be realistic. It's very un, it's very unrealistic. I think also to think that you're gonna find the people that are gonna scale. Let's say from a tiny startup to an IPO. Those people yes. are few and far between, and not many of your employees will make it from that stage to some other stage. So, in startups, recruiting is like you have to look at what stage, and if you as as kind of as you graduate the stages, you have to also look reevaluate your staff and 100%. up upscale really yeah, like yeah. And, and and scale up with with a lot of the roles right. And I think that's one area that's really difficult. Yeah, totally auditing those like all the time. Mm-hmm. You share some pretty amazing articles on LinkedIn. I love them. I save them <laughs> to my pocket Great. To, to read later. <laughs> but what are your favorite books? I think you shared a pretty cool Business Insider uh, article, which had like a compilation. But like, I was just curious, any maybe human resources books, business books, culture? I have one book that I is like the Bible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> And, and this this is a it's work rules by Laszlo Bach and this is um, a foundational book for sort of the new type of talent and people operations right we don't even call them HR anymore sorry but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so it, basically it's uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's like you guys always making up different names for marketing things right? uh, but but uh, basically this book is brilliant because I think it sort of shows that like every situation you come into whether it's down, you have to come it from a sort of a business perspective. And sometimes it doesn't take a huge amount of resources to make, to, to make a positive change in your organization, but you have to have sort of a scientific method type approach where you have some kind of a hypothesis where you test something on maybe a control group, you mm-hmm. figure out that and it really works and then you kind of roll out. So like I one of the examples he talks about, it's not actually a talent acquisition example, but he talks about training. So he talks about Okay, you need to, let's say, train your whole workforce to, to whatever, be better salespeople. Right. And so he says there's a few approaches you could take. You could buy an off-the-shelf system. You could bring somebody in. And mm-hmm. and, and it, the way he sort of argues is, like, you could also do to make your best people the trainers. They're doing something. They're in your space. Mm-hmm. It's a completely so customized so training. Yes. And so what he did is is they actually, uh, he, he kind of plays out scenarios with a control group. And so he said, if you have your top salesperson go and just spend 20% of their time, so they're going to earn less, but the exponential effect they will have because Mm. your other salespeople are now getting this completely customized training, and if they just sell marginally more, like 10% more, Mm -hmm. the the effect is so much higher in terms of dollars, right? And as an HR person, that's what you want to show. You want to show business value, right? Mm. Um, And so these kind of experiments can be run in much smaller companies if the people take the time to understand what the particular business problem is there. Yeah. Right? And that's how new HR is done. And he sort of explains it brilliantly. He has mm-hmm. lots of examples. So work rules. So cool. Well, I'll link it in the, <laughs> in the show notes so everybody can grab it. I haven't read it, so I want to check it out because it's so, I think it's super important. And also I've read the metric somewhere where if you look at your salespeople, there will be 10% or 5% of people, the top performance who will account for 80% of the pipeline. Right. Or the, the... Yeah. And, and, and like that Pareto principle is sort of widely kind of recognized in everything. And I haven't, 
like I, I think to a certain extent that's how it works, but I think that's that's the interesting thing that he argues, right? It's like, okay, so you have those people that are top performers, let's say the 20% that are yielding maybe 80% of your value. What if you could improve everybody else, but just the marginal percent? Hmm. It's a huge value massive, add. Massive, massive, absolutely. Right? And so the ways to kind of, because improving, let's say, those ones that are already kind of at maybe their maximum, you can only go so far in terms of the impact, right? But leveraging them to maybe help the rest of the sales force, that's sort of yeah. the, the brilliance of it. And I, I think he also says, like, roll this out. Don't mm-hmm. just be like, okay, take my word for it. Roll it out first to, to a, maybe one department. See if it makes a difference. Measure it. If it does, and there's, let's say, all other factors are constant, they're in the same market, same thing, same everything, then you kind of know, you have proof it works, and then you can kind of yeah. roll it out to other people. And so that's kind of the approach that I advocate in HR with everything. Absolutely. Go quickly, test, get some data, move move on. Yeah, it's just, but not rolling it out, like, and then just scrapping the whole thing that you that is working or was working before, but that's like a, not the best approach. No, definitely not. No, you definitely don't. And, and I mean, this approach too, you don't want to roll out something that you haven't tested. That could be career suicide. <laughs> We we don't want those. No, definitely not. Maria, before I ask my last question, where is everybody can find you online? Uh, They can, uh, LinkedIn is the best place to find me online. You could just type plug and play talent uh, or my name and uh, it's very easy to find me and contact me. Perfect. And it will be in the, in the show notes. Now, with regards to your work, what is, well, what impact would you like to have with, with the work that you're doing and uh, just on companies or in general? I, I thought about this and I think like, our ecosystem here in Toronto with startups is like at a brink of something I feel is special. Like mm-hmm. we are really, it, it feels like the last few years has been an explosion of really cool companies and opportunity and everything. And I think, you know, if I can help in some small way, some of them scale, that's sort of the impact that I'd like to leave. And, and, and I also think like, I love my job. I think recruitment is we like, can tell. yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's the most personal kind of sell. Like you're selling yes. somebody's next eight hours, their dreams, their like career hopes, which are like, they, these are huge things, right? Like yeah. we all work for so long in our life, right? The work should never suck. It's, it's, I love it. It's like, it's, 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 that's a quote. That's a quote we're going to put on the title. Okay, great. Work should never suck. Yeah. I feel like that will sell this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's so true i think it's i forgot who was doing this assessment but it's like 40 years account like the whole work accounts for like 40 or something absolutely and then i feel life. like you know your your job as a recruiter is to sort of figure out with your candidate and with your company to kind of be like is this really what you want and is it the best match and, and kind of take all those like human motivations and emotions into that process and also you know back that up with some data and 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 and, and, and tests and and sort of kind of it's, it's an art and a science, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel, I mean, I talked to a lot of my candidates like years later. They're like, it's the most rewarding job. They're like, Maria, that job like changed my trajectory. It was the best thing. Like, so, so you true. really, no, it's awesome. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's the best. No, it's amazing. <laughs> exactly. It. But I mean, Maria, it was super, uh, like, it was great to have you here. Thank and, you. It was uh, great to be here. It was so much fun. Thank you.